Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So on today's show, I'm going to be talking about the topic of taxation as theft. going to be addressing a common political libertarian standpoint and talk about it in light of classical libertarianism, classic liberalism, and the issue of democratic socialism. So uh, if you've often heard the talking point from some libertarians that taxation is theft, well, today we're going to talk about that. In order to do that, I'm having a special guest on the show. We're going to call him St. Theosaurus Rex. He actually has a different real name, but because of personal reasons, he chooses to remain anonymous. St. Theosaurus Rex, been on the show before to talk about political stuff because he is a poli-sci major, and he's also recently an ordained minister. Um, So I think he is able to bring a unique perspective on this topic, especially as we talk about these three issues in light of biblical theology um, and how we can maybe all learn a little something from all these different schools of thought. So without further ado, my interview with St. Theosaurus Rex on the issues Taxation Theft, episode 115 of the Jimmy'sTable.com podcast. Theosaurus Rex, welcome to the show. How does it feel to be an ordained minister now? Greetings, everyone. Um, It's pretty interesting. It kind of feels like... um like graduating from college or something, you know, you, you've done a lot to get to that point. Right. But it's like, well, outside of this piece of paper, I don't really feel any different. Right. Except I don't have to work anymore on like this thing. Right. And the best part is, especially with this, this episode, apart from all the Jesus stuff, the practical implications on the tax code in regard to your <laughs> life. Uh, so you are now going to get tax discounts because you're an ordained minister. Oh, yeah, I get a, um, a housing allowance. Back in the day, they would have like a parsonage where, you know, the pastor would stay and everything. And then I guess the government realized that that's not really practical anymore. So instead of that, they can just give you tax free money. And it's great. It's yeah, you, it's crazy how much um, I was losing every year to taxes. I wonder when the government's going to start giving podcasters uh, tax-free allowances for their housing. You think that can happen? I I think they should do that. Because if they're going to give you a tax discount for housing, I should get a tax discount for housing. Although I technically do with the uh, interest deduction that you can technically declare on your taxes. But because of Trump's uh, tax policy from a couple of years ago, I just take the standard deduction every year. So I don't get to claim that. Yeah. But you get a lot more money, I think. Yeah, well, you know, being a former big bad banker, I don't, you know, worry about that stuff. Cause I just, <laughs> I'm just, you know, minting money up here in my office every day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so today we're going to be talking about taxation. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about taxation, you know, I come from, uh, personally speaking, a kind of libertarian perspective on taxation. I borderline the perspective that uh, taxation is theft. It's probably one of the chief talking points of libertarian philosophy regarding politics. Uh, and then the next great points libertarians make is we should legalize weed and uh, prostitution should be legal. But uh, we've talked about stuff like that on another podcast. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I kind of come from a libertarian perspective, but I don't quite buy it. And right. I've, I've, it's especially as a Christian, it's always the 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 libertarian taxation is theft perspective has always not set very well for me as a Christian. Um, although at the same time, I find um, the philosophical argument that a lot of libertarians make very compelling. But on the other side of the coin, that the taxation is theft crowd, you kind of have your classical liberal position, which looks at. That, that we're kind of under this sort of social contract and that taxation isn't theft, but it's a ethical, philosophical, moral obligation that you and I are bound to because we're part of society. Um, yeah. And so today we're here to uh, talk about those things. So Theo, tell me, where do you come in on the taxation is theft? Um, and maybe you can explain it better to our audience than what I have. Is Have I summed up what basically the two main perspectives on this particular issue are? And how do you see them as uh, being in contrast to one another? Uh, I would say that there are there are actually three major ones. Okay. You've got the libertarian view, which is taxation is theft. I'm a free individual and the government that is it is taking it through means of coercion and force. Um then you have the classical liberal, which is like, okay, so we agree that we need some sort of government and that that is overall good. So we're okay giving a little bit of taxes to pay for that, but it gets way crazy. And then you've got the idea that it is good to give money to the government because the government creates a social welfare. And that's like your more socialist type view. And um, in that case, taxation isn't theft. It's all of us paying our fair share to go towards to help those who don't have the ability to um, to help each other, or in the same way that, like, um, you know, if you've got like ten people who all pull their money together, you can afford something that's a lot nicer than just if everyone just gives like a little, you know, their 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 fair like their part. And the idea is that maybe the government can help us with get better things, or to be able to afford something that we can't afford, and and in doing that, it helps out society. So there's kind of three of them, and it all just depends on like where. How much really, I guess, how much of an individual you want to be. Mm. So for me, I fall, I'm what they call um, a communitarian liberal. And that's a big L liberal, which in um, political science ideas, that's the like, that's like the classical liberal type thing. So it's not like you're, you're more Democrat liberal. It is like it's the official political thing. And basically, I am I stand for individuality and freedom. Um, however, I understand and recognize government control and that it can be good for governments to get involved to protect us um, and to, for things that help the community. So that's how I can get away with being um, anti-legalization of prostitution, anti-legalization of drugs, um, uh, anti that kind of stuff, right. anti-abortion, that kind of thing. And so I'm OK giving some taxes. So I fall more on the classical liberal thing. Um, but we're also we outside of the general social contract, we have the Constitution. And the Constitution outlines what the government's supposed to do. So I don't have an issue giving my money to things that the government, that the federal government has um, a mandate to do. I have an issue with it going to stuff the federal government doesn't have a mandate to do. And so in that case, in those cases, I find myself in the taxation is theft part. Okay. So it's kind of, I kind of bounce all around. So like, is it, so I would say if the government is putting the money towards um, maintaining infrastructure for mediating disputes and defending um, its its people at home and abroad, then the federal government has the right to tax me for that within reason. Um, but it does not have money to 
it does not it, it becomes theft when it's going to fund pet projects and things like that and um so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting perspective but it's that's that's kind of where I, I line up on it. Interesting. So, so let's go ahead and kind of unpack this a little bit because that's definitely a lot, and I'm sure it's got people's heads spinning. Uh-huh. Um, and I know coming from Sorry kind of a that. more of a uh, you know classic you know quasi I would I would say my I would say I borderline being a small L libertarian. Like I like a lot of the stuff, but there's some of it I'm yeah. a little sketch about. Um, uh-huh. But the, the libertarian perspective that taxation is theft fundamentally it's all about the 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 philosophical belief and this goes back to enlightenment philosophy some of it which helped found the country with Locke and Hume and 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 all these sort of guys um Thoreau and whatnot like it all these guys who who came together and basically championed individual liberty that man was not born a slave to anybody that but that man is fundamentally born free um, and that he's an individual and that he doesn't belong to a collective. Um, and that was their fundamental assertion. And that was kind of the underpinnings for, for our revolution that we had in 1776. And happy Independence Day because this podcast will be coming out on 4th of July weekend. Woo! America! America. Give your America, Theo. America. There, there you go. Rawr. Um, but so, 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 but fundamentally, man is viewed as free. Man is viewed as independent, and it's believed that he has the right to own as an independent individual, that he has the right to his labor, the right to the property that he secures as a result of his labor. Um, but when you, you take, if you take that perspective, it's, it's a very compelling one because then it's, it becomes one of, well, the only way you can therefore extract taxes from that individual apart from their consent is to come up to them with a gun and, you know, libertarians and others would argue that that fundamentally government is a gun. Government is the power to wield force um, and to exact justice and that that, uh, you know, the government shouldn't have, though, such right to take your property because that's an infringement upon your individuality um, as a free agent, somebody who is not a slave to anybody and that you should only have to give up your profit, property because you make an agreement with somebody else to exchange your property, your labor, your time, your the things that you value most, only by mutual agreement. Um, so, h- how does that perspective, like, how how do you uh, look at that from a classical liberal? What would the classical liberal or the socialist say in regard to this idea that government is a gun and that? You know, the yes, you, you may be free, but, you know, we need to pay your taxes. How do you argue that with from from against a libertarian who's like, no, I'm free and you're not getting my taxes unless I give them to you voluntarily? Yes. Um, so I think um, we can go kind of with, with two different. So for. Um, let's see. Let's go with um, Rousseau's idea. Rousseau was a classical liberal, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, however you say it. Um, it's French, and um, and I'm, I know I'm pronouncing at least half And you're from so Georgia, so we forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia. Georgia. Um, so, um, so with Rousseau, what he, what he argued, and like his big quote is, um, man is born free and everywhere is in chains. And he's talking about the idea that um, 
you know, so we're born free and then we're, we're chained down by things and we're chained down by a couple of things. Um, first off is through like monarchies. Cause back in that time he was writing with like monarchies, but then also with the fact that if everyone is free and everyone has like, and we're all born in that free state of nature, um, we all have, um, let's see. Um, so I have my individual rights and I have, let's say I have my public, pro- my property, like, like you had mentioned, I have my private property and this is mine and you can't have it. It's mine. And what Rousseau would argue is that that is only yours because you have claimed it to be so. And as soon as somebody else claims that property, then it ceases to be yours because there is nothing that you would have the ability to to defend against. I mean, you could defend with like your life and, you know, guns and stuff like that and kind of make your own like, you know, um, castle doctrine type thing. But you have no inherent right to it. And so what we have to do is we enter into a social contract where we determine and we all agree to one another. So, okay, we believe in the concept of property rights. And when I pay you for this, then you are acknowledging that if I pay you for a piece of property, then you're acknowledging that that is mine. And you're not going to try and go over here and take it just because it was yours back in the day. Right. And if so, then we're going to agree to submit to a higher authority. And so he placed that higher authority would be a group of people who gave, willingly gave their that authority to a group of individuals who had the will of every, the, the best intentions of everyone at heart, um, and that represented us in in many ways. And so his thing, uh, what the classical liberal would say is like, yes, that is your personal property, but it is only able to remain your personal property um, because there is a these concepts and these rights that are given to us in, in our quote, our social contract of sorts, because or else you're just, your property is no more protected than, than all, all you have to do is have somebody who is bigger and who is more um, violent to come in there and they can take away your property. It doesn't matter. And you have no recourse. Well, but it, the libertarian would argue that that's exactly what the government is doing. That I, they would argue what contract? I didn't sign a contract. I was born free. Can you show me the piece of paper in which I agreed to submit myself to that? They would argue they signed no such contract and that whatever mental gymnastics you're attempting to do to justify your, you know, whacking them over the head with the power of a gun, um, that just because a group of people decide to vote to take your stuff, doesn't make it any more right than some, some Al Capone type individual saying, you know, I provide some protection to your 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 store that you have here, Mr. Theo, like and in exchange for the protection that I'm going to provide for you today so that you can conduct your business in peace and tranquility and that so nobody else disturbs you, I'm going to reach into the till that you have here at this nice dry cleaners and I'm going to take 10% out of your drawer. Thank you, Mr. Theo, for um, you know, allowing me to serve you in such a way, and and this is my public good that I'm offering you. This this. So, how is government fundamentally any different than the racket that Al Capone and organized crime has frequently provided? Um, you know, in in the communities that they terrorize. <laughs> so that would. So this 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 is where we get interesting, right? Um, so Rousseau would argue um, that the government does not have any legitimacy unless it is doing what is best for its people that it represents, unless it is pushing towards the the one will or not the one will. He he used um, 
the the will of the good. It was something. There's like some the will of the people, basically, for lack of a better term. And that if it stops operating in a way that is beneficial to the will of the people, that represents the will of the people for this greater good, then it ceases to be legitimate. Which is where like you get um, Jefferson, where he writes in the Declaration of Independence. You know, if any um, government that comes against these means are, you know, we have the duty to overthrow, basically. Um, and so where that's different, so for the, um, the classical liberal, we are inherently skeptical of the government. And so, right, so in theory, the government's not supposed to, um, sorry, back up for a second. In theory, um, Al Capone is doing that and he's, he's going to benefit from it and he's going to profit from it. The government should not be profiting from it, which is why the classical liberal sincerely believes and really pushes this whole idea of limited government. And so it's, and that limited government is things for protection, like infrastructure, which is something that you can't maintain the roads, you know, down the street, you know, you don't want to maintain the roads down the street. That's not your responsibility, but we need to have roads to be able to get from point A to point B. Um, same with defense and, and that kind of stuff. So it's a, um, so we acknowledge that those things the government can do better, and as long as they stay within the bounds of what we give them, then it should be fine. But you know, still the the idea still presses. I'm going to keep pressing you on this because this is something I've always okay. personally struggled with. Is yeah. you know, Al Gone, Al 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 Capone can be benevolent. There's you know, there's been benevolent drug dealers. Uh, you know, like some of the the gangster drug dealers in South America have been loved by their communities because they provide peace and tranquility and education. Uh, yeah, they, they sell drugs and smuggle them into America and people know they do bad things on the side. Um, but, you know, man, like people love themselves at El Guapo and the places yeah. that El Guapo was popular because they looked at him almost as a type of government. He was looking out for their best interests. El Guapo mm -hmm. maintained order and, 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 you know, kept the world from dis going into madness. That's how, you know, he kept all the, the other terrible drug dealers out of town and, and, and you know, peace prevailed under his rule. Uh, in his right. reign. And so, you know, they would still push back and say, well, how are you any different than El Chapo and Al Capone? Like, what is the legitimate, where do you derive legitimate source of the ability to wield a gun? What, what why makes your gun more legitimate than uh, Al Capone or El Guapo? Um, so for the community or the, um, the classical liberal, they would say, because they divide their, Unlike those, the government derives its power from the people. Mm. Um, now, what Thomas Hobbes argued, he was the first one that kind of idea of a social contract. He argued that, and, and I say this to kind of, I'm not necessarily sidestepping your point. Right. Um, but he, he mentioned that um, the life by yourself, individuals, you know, without any kind of power or whatnot or authority over you is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short. And so his idea in Leviathan was that you needed the, the people had to get together and they would basically determine a monarch who they would go and that person would have complete authority over everything. And that, that and then we all would have to sacrifice our safety and or sacrifice our individual rights and place them under this person who had supreme and authoritarian, like full authoritative power. And in doing that and in, in exchange, they would keep us safe. And they would ensure that we didn't have a nasty, brutish, and short life. 
And um, and I feel that so part of where the difference is between like that Al Capone or the Pablo Escobar or anything like that is that Pablo Escobar and I just know more about him because the uh, show Narcos on Netflix. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he um, he he took over and he enforced his power through fear and stuff like that. And he wasn't like elected. He wasn't. I mean, actually, he was at one point. That's a side note. Um, <laughs> But it wasn't a situation to where the people chose him, mm. right? And so, and because, and then, and he wasn't accountable to the people. And that's one of the biggest thing that Rousseau had versus Hobbes is, and that I think the community, um, classical liberal, oh my goodness, the classical liberal versus other, like the socialist or the more authoritarian one is that at any point when the government ceases to do what's best for the people, they have the right to withhold and to, um, to, to um, remove that legitimacy and the authority from it. And so when the, the authority or when the state begins to do that, which it is not designed to do and not given the freedom to do, then at that point we, we get to withhold that. So in that way, it is different from the, the Al Capone and the Pablo Escobar thing in that. But if you, cause if you resisted them and you said, okay, you've gone outside your mandate, they didn't care. They kill you. And so and that's where the, that's why the idea of limited government was so important mm. to um, to like the founding fathers and and then, of course, to us more classical liberals. So the, the classical liberal response to the libertarian would be, well, Mr. Libertarian, you don't live in the middle of nowhere. Um, there, there is a government here and it's a legitimate government because the, the power that this government, this government wields is legitimate power derived from the voluntary association of people to give that government power. So, you know, yes, they may pay taxes by force in theory. And, 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 and well, I'm not going to say in theory, because we all know what happened yeah, to John. Yeah. Mc, we all know what happened to John McAfee. Uh, <laughs> poor guy. The poor guy. May he rest in peace. Um, but, uh, you know, um, they would argue this. So the classical liberal would say, well, we're different from Al Capone because we have legitimate source of force that is a legitimate source of force that derives from the people. Um, and it's one that must be recognized because, you know, you, you, your libertarian perspective, the uh, libertarian perspective is almost um, it's almost hyper individualism to the extent that it makes no recognition. Um, it, it acts like a man was dropped in the middle of the garden of Eden all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that uh, he was just wandering around in some sort of anarchist state. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's this kind of, it, it almost seems like the libertarian perspective highly depends on almost this theoretical construct that, yes, man is born free, but man's also born in community. Man is born into a world with yes. other people, and that those relationships with other people must be governed um, in some fashion, and th that's where the classical liberal, I think, uh, comes in, and kind of, in my opinion, almost kind of makes it almost hard to buy the very compelling argument of libertarianism. But at the same time, I think it it nods to the healthy tension that must exist in a classical liberal state, because if it doesn't, if that tension doesn't constantly exist, then all of a sudden you're like, okay. Well, government is a legitimate source of force, and the legitimate source of force that government has 
you know, obligates you to pay taxes in response to the, the things that the government does. But if you, if you take that argument far enough and say, okay, we the people derive the ability to tax because of the source of force that we get from government, well, then how do you not just go into a complete socialist state and swing to the other pendulum and say, hey, we, we have the legitimate source of force, so now we're going to do Bernie Sanders-style socialism or worse, and we're going to just lay hold to, to all your property, and you have no individual property rights, and your property rights are now the right of the state to make claim to. How, how do we avoid going swinging to the other way? First off, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. Sure. That was a really good recap of the arguments on there. So Thank you. Props. Um, I think that that is a huge thing. And so while you were talking, one of the things that's, is that whole idea of, like, let's say that um, um, the government is designed to, to help maintain and protect human rights. Well, then, kind of like what you're talking about, well, what stops someone from making whatever human right, like Bernie Sanders for a while, there was like healthcare, you should not have to die. You know, it's a human right to live and to have someone provide for, you know, healthcare for you. Well, then recently he was like, it's also, it should be a human right to be able to have teeth. (laughs) Okay. There's a huge difference between like a life saving, life saving heart surgery and being able to have, like go to a dentist. Right. And so like, at what point are we going to say, okay, at some point human rights, we're losing what that term means and we're, we're losing what everyone understands the human rights to be because one person's going more into thing. And I think that that tension is really important. And I think that's one of the reasons why the founding fathers um, had us go with having terms and having the two houses that have, you know, so for those of you who aren't in the U S you've got, we've got the house of representatives and they're elected every two years. And then you have the Senate who is elected every six years, but they alternate. So we're always, every two years, we're voting in new senators and new um, representatives. And um, and I think that's part of why they did that, is so that we're ensuring that the consent of the um, of the people is is maintained. But what um, happens if the consent of the people is now to take everybody else's stuff? What What's, what, why, why should they not be able to, why, like, why should they be able to say, okay, you have your individual property rights, but now, we're going to use through the right of government to govern by force and tax. How do we how do we avoid then just coming after all of our stuff? Philosophically, how do we keep the pendulum from swinging into, you know, far left socialism of the Bernie Stan, the Bernie Sanders of the world? Like, and not just because like okay, we vote different congressmen or whatever, but philosophically, why is Bernie Sanders wrong about how the government should operate in its? And it's kind of nanny state where the government not only recognizes and defends your rights, but also provides you all the stuff and takes stuff from others. Like he loves to crack on Jeff Bezos. Why should Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders not be able to dismantle Amazon and distribute the plunder amongst the people with whatever social programs he has? Because if he uses the government, then that's taxation that is theft and is bad. (laughs) Um, <laughs> no, I mean, so I, I would say that that part of that it all goes to your your basic philosophical like idea and like and metaphysics and how you believe about those things and and that's where you really run into a big thing with um, in terms of like politics and philosophy, like because the socialists, assuming the, you know the best of everyone, the right. socialists is saying, hey, 
I don't trust that people will donate to charity and take care of those who who need it. Right. And the classical liberal says, I will trust for people to be able to take care. Like, that's why we have the churches, and that's why their churches are tax-free and why they can do things. Um, because they're part of their job in society is to, to help one another. And I believe that individual charity is good. And the libertarian, depending on who it is, either says, hey, it's it's my responsibility and I'm going to do it myself. And the government sure as heck ain't going to do anything because it can't do anything efficiently. Or it'll say, that's not my problem. You need to do X, Y, and then and, and you don't deserve any of my charity. Um, and so... It kind of just depends on on your overarching philosophy. Do you trust other people to be able to to do what's right? And do you? Um, and and I think that's a lot of that. Then comes to your belief on religion, and um, and do you trust the religions to be able to, to your different religion and churches and that kind of stuff to be able to do that? And it's a really difficult thing. And so for someone like Bernie who and going to take away the religion aspect of it for someone who, like Bernie, who believes that the government has in the same way that the government has the, um, the means to be able to provide transportation roads. And that when you, everyone pulls their money, they can have better roads than, than you could on your salary and me on my salary. Um, then the government can provide that. But then for the classical liberal, it's like, well, there's so much bloat and government and stuff like that, that, you know, by the time we actually, by the time it goes through the whole Washington machine, it's only going to have like, you know, 25 cents on the dollar, whatever the actual amount is, because there's so much happening and how much of my stuff is actually going to help people. So I, I don't trust the government to do that. So then, and that's where the classical liberal and the libertarian go away. We don't trust the government to do that kind of thing. So the classical liberal and classical libertarian perspective versus that of more of a socialist perspective or democratic socialist perspective, depending on how you want to define the terms, um, mm -hmm. you know, then their problem maybe isn't necessarily um, a philosophical, can the government, should the government be able to do these things, but more a question of efficiency that, you know, yes, the government can do these things and it's legitimate to do such if the people decide to do that, but um, we believe the government's a you know big spender. They love to spend on endless wars. They love to spend on three million dollar uh, toilets for outer space. You know, um, you know, and, and so it's not a, a philosophical. So you you almost see it as not so much a philosophical difference as it is just a matter of pragmatic efficiency. I would say that it's it's a matter of both. Okay, and um, so pragmatic efficiency. I would say especially on the libertarian side, um, of course, and, you know, you're welcome to disagree on that right. thing, but I think for more, it's very pragmatic on there. And, um, then the philosophical thing, I think it goes into, um, I think that part of that goes into is whose responsibility is it to do stuff? Okay. Or is it okay if someone goes without because no one provides it to them? Right. And I would argue that for someone like Sanders, a democratic socialist, socialist, whatever, that they would say it is not okay that someone goes without right. or someone doesn't provide it. And that we must compel people to protect it. Because like, I had a friend who, um, and I've talked about him on some of our other podcasts, and like we realized that we have the same end goal. Right. And like our what we realized that over was the fact that we both want to feed 
uh, make sure the poor are um, have food and they have shelter. Right. And he believed that it was the government's responsibility. And um, he, he argued that about that. Like, you know, with my taxes and your taxes, we can go and, and make a homeless shelter that you couldn't do with your own money. Right. And I said, yeah, but how much of it is actually going to go there? And um, but we realized we had the same goal. It's just we he trusted the government to do it because he didn't trust people. And I trusted people to rise up to the occasion and not the government. Right. Because I felt the government, like the Al Capone type thing, is is going to profit off of itself. And the people who are in the government, more than likely, with my, with my healthy skepticism of it, <laughs> are going to do what it takes to help to help them out. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like it's an interesting tension because I think you know, and I think it's one that people often overlook in these discussions and, you know, because sometimes the discussions can get really dirty, um, yeah. especially with, you know, sides taking extremes um, like the yeah. libertarians are going to just say, well, you're just a bunch of thieves and you want to take my stuff. And the socialist, the Democrat socialist is going to be like, why don't you like poor people? Um, right. And, you know, but in truth, both of them can have the same ultimate I guess you could say utopian dreams that we would love for all people everywhere to constantly be fed, to constantly have shelter, to constantly be well taken care of and not have to worry about financial burdens crushing them in their making of life decisions that we should all just be able to thrive and prosper and live in a, in a beautiful place. Um, but the, the means of which we get there philosophically is can be a very different road. And a lot of times they're they're counterintuitive. Right. Like, let's say just for the sake of arguments, I don't make close to this. Let's say I made a hundred thousand dollars because it's easier for math that way. <laughs> and um, so then let's say that I'm at a, I have a place where the government taxes me at 60 percent. That leaves me forty thousand dollars. Right. Um, if I give let's let's say I tithe, you know, the traditional 10 percent, that's going to be four thousand dollars that goes there depending on one's philosophy on that. Mm -hmm. um, I have $4,000 remaining to give away versus $10,000. Right. And so, so by, by instituting something where the government's going to be the welfare of it, it takes away my ability to give more money than I would like. And right. so, and that's why I think where part of our tensions come from as well, because it's like, well, the government's taking so much money. I don't have any free money outside of, you know, what I'm doing. I don't have the ability to give to the church. I don't have the ability to give to charities. I would love to, but with the government's taking so much, I can't do it. And um, so it kind of creates this an additional layer of tension because both kind of views are, um, are come at the expense of the other. Mm. Because then the because then if we lower taxes and you know the government doesn't take as much, then the government doesn't have the ability to provide the welfare for people. Right. Because people, even though they have the option to give extra taxes, for some reason, people don't do it. Right. <laughs> Crazy how that works. It's weird. It's like it's like I was trying to stir up a little philosophical conversation on Twitter. Like, how much money would you voluntarily tax if if you like if you were to buy the libertarian perspective that um, you should only tax what you've contracted to it tax um, and that what you've you know agreed upon mutual agreement what would be your voluntary tax rate if you were to voluntarily tax um Ooh. and it's like it's, it's interesting because you know when it comes to voting on these particular issues especially if you start voting for more left-leaning socialist democratic mm -hmm. socialist ideals like you're essentially 
voting to increase your taxes. And I know it's often sold as, well, we're going to tax Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and stuff like that. But in yeah. truth, if you ever want to get to like, you know, Scandinavian countries, which are so and European countries, which are so often held up as the ideal in truth, you don't get there without taxing everybody 40, 50, 60 yeah. percent of their income even. Like so you have to ask yourself and, 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 and some people often say, well, you know, Bernie Sanders and them, they want to post all these programs as free and people like the idea of free programs until people realize that they're the ones that got to pay for the free programs. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I didn't, didn't go to college. So why am I going to pay for somebody else to go to college? Like, mm -hmm. you know, why all of, all of a sudden it do, is their extra education after high school all of a sudden my problem? Um, and or like when, um, when Biden was talking about, you know, forgiving all student loan, I had a friend and I'm sure you've had friends who are like, hold on a second. I have, I've worked a second job and I've done all this other kind of stuff so I could pay off my student right. loan and and I didn't have to do that. Am I going to get a refund from that? Right. And it's like, and, and that's a very valid argument. Right. And it, it seems to me philosophically, especially if you look at it almost from a constitutional standpoint, but I only reference the constitution because of the philosophy behind it. But we have a constitutional amendment that, you know, of, of eminent domain, if the government seizes your property the government is required to compensate you justly for the the uh, the property that it took. So if it mm -hmm. took a piece of land that's worth $100,000, then the government is obligated to give you $100,000 in return of that. And I think philosophically, yeah. like if you were going to stop at the, the being able to lay hold to the claims of everybody's a thief uh, through the government sort of thing, maybe you could say it is a theft in some sense. But if they justly compensate you with equal services that that are of the same value, then you could almost argue that, you know, they they gave restitution for what they stole. Yeah. Well, and and I think that if you have a limited government, that's more possible when you have a welfare like based government that becomes very much. a Well, I don't need that. So I'm not being um, fairly compensated. Like we all drive on the roads or ride on the roads or somehow, you know, the roads are beneficial. We all enjoy the protection that the military provides us, um, um, even if we don't realize it. And we all enjoy, um, enjoy, we have <laughs> access to the court system and free lawyers and that kind of stuff. Right. And so we can all do that. But then when it comes down to like, there was, a, there was, there were, there were some dark days that I had back in the day where. Like I had a taxable income of three hundred dollars in that entire year. Mm -hmm. um, I was not eligible for food stamps wow. um, because I was actually too poor. <laughs> um, I couldn't get on uh, Medicaid, but and then for Obamacare, like that was the crazy thing for me. Like back in like twenty fifteen or I think it was around then, like I had a, an income of twelve thousand dollars. It was it was dark days, and. Um, and they're like, I'm sorry, you in order to get Obamacare, you know, or to use the health insurance marketplace and to get subsidies, you've got to have a, um, a base minimum income of like, was like $14,500. And I was like, I am too poor for this thing, which is supposed to help my insurance. <laughs> and like, so for that one, I, yes, every tax dollar that went out, I was really upset about it because I was like, look, I'm not getting any benefits from these social programs in here. And it's just, it's, it was ridiculous. But I say that to say, I think that's a that's a huge sticking point. Once again, very good recap on that. 
it's the idea that I don't think I think especially especially for libertarians, um, you're taking this and I'm not getting that fair justification back. Right. It's that it's that individual thing, and I think that's a very important um, distinction. Okay, so we've we've talked about things from the very philosophical standpoint um, regarding uh, libertarianism, classical liberalism, and socialism. But you know, ordained pastor that you are, and uh, ooh, and uh, me being a Bible college theology guy involved in the ministry of the church, and you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Let's let's talk about this from a, a biblical standpoint, um, because I think you know people would be kind of shocked. Um, if they look at the biblical standpoint from things and how, you know, the actual government of the nation of Israel um, evolved over time. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people like to kind of cherry pick the Bible um, when it comes to justifying their form of government. <laughs> what? Uh, what? No, no. That never happened. I mean, because, I mean, Jesus was practically a socialist, right? He believed in free health care. He believed in free health care for everybody, right? He said, um, if you don't have, believe in free health care, you are not my disciple. Pharisees right. 3.11, you can look it up. Exactly. Um, but I think, we, I think you and I would agree that the Bible doesn't, you know, really prescribe a monolithic form of government when it comes to how we organize our societies. It, it might establish certain principles and, and things that it wants us to believe and behaviors it wants us to have. But as far as like a prescribed form of government, you don't really see that. You see a very evolved thing, especially in the Old Testament. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to do in regard to New Testament application to secular government, feel free. But it doesn't seem like Jesus and the apostles were exactly championing um, an expansion of the Medicaid program under the nation of Israel. <laughs> Um, or that they were knocking on Nero's door saying, hey, why haven't you done something about housing yet? Um, yeah. But with that said, you know, I think, you know, just to kind of recap here, you, you look at the Bible and you do see issues regard to taxation. But like in the Old Testament, Moses didn't technically establish a form of tax under the theocratic state of the trope. 12 tribe federation of the nation of Israel. Um, they did have mm -hmm. tithing and they did have all sorts of sort of other stuff that, you know, definitely sounds like modern taxation to some degree, but yeah. they kind of lacked an enforcement mechanism. They, if you didn't pay your tithes, you know, in theory, you could have got kicked out of the, the tribe, but they didn't really, you know, there's no evidence that anybody ever acted on that, you know? Um, it was right. more so if you didn't pay your tithes, Jehovah threatened to withhold the reins from you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so you have like Malachi 3.16 or 3.10 and all that stuff, you know, uh, mm. why will you rob God and whatnot? Um, but, you know, when it came to taxes, we didn't really start seeing taxation as a formal thing in the Old Testament until they started establishing a monarchy. And the prophet Samuel said, hey... You're, God's going to let you have the king you guys want, but just to warn you, nation of Israel, these kings, they're going to tax you. And he didn't seem like that sounded like a positive thing. Um, no, right. uh, that, that was definitely like, a, hey, this is just so you know, this is what you're going to get for what you're asking. You want a king? Well, kings come with taxes. 
And sure enough, I don't, I don't think there's any evidence that King David did too much in the way of taxing. I, memory escapes me. But, I'm going to say I don't remember it as much either. Right. But Solomon definitely taxed uh, the people. And when it came to the nation, the history of Israel, it was after Solomon's death with his uh, successor, Rehoboam, who came about and said, you know, my father taxed you. Well, I'm going to double the taxes. And yeah. then, then, the, the, then his brother Jeroboam was like, whoa, wait a second. You, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to oppress us? Um, and they actually divided the, the kingdom of God over the issue of taxation. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know it's more complicated than that, but, yeah. but essentially that's what the split... That was of, one of the issues. That was one of the leading issues in the Old Testament about the division between uh, the northern and southern kingdoms and of the Jewish kingdom, that it all ultimately came down to how much do you want to be taxed by the king? And there was a group of people that said, you know, no... Uh, taxation is theft. <laughs> um, and there's another group that was like, more taxes. Uh, um, and then, you know, we in the Old Testament, we saw that. And, and really in the Old Testament, most taxation up to that point had only been by like conquering kingdoms. Like you paid taxes yeah. as tribute to nations that conquered you and didn't kill you um, as a thank you for not killing me. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and when they would take that would be part of like their the peace treaty in a way they would demand the um, oh, what is it tributes yes right and and so you can't so that almost kind of begs you know and kind of plays into the libertarian camp a little bit of that look this is a very Al Capone thing here we should be thankful they didn't kill us so we're going to pay them taxes um, <laughs> and and that's how it kind of was and even in Jesus' day the Jews were having an argument. With Rome, they didn't want to pay taxes because they didn't like being conquered by a foreign army. The Romans were an occupying army um, yep. in the nation, and they demanded tribute like all the other nations had always done. Um, but then they also mixed in their paganism with it, and the Jews of Jesus' day objected not only because they didn't like being under Roman occupation, but they didn't like the mixing of the paganistic aspects of it and yeah you know, it went to things that they didn't believe in right they went to things they didn't believe in so it was like their argument was very much kind of like conservatives who were like i don't want the government paying for abortion um right. and so when they were like well i don't want to pay the romans to upkeep their pagan temples um because that's what they were doing with the money yeah um and but then jesus kind of had a you know blase attitude about the entire thing like you know, he when Jesus came to taxes, you know, he's like, oh, we got to pay taxes. Hey, Peter, go get a, a coin out of the fish of a mouth uh, mm -hmm. or uh, the coin out of the mouth of a fish, rather. <laughs> um, and, you know, pay your taxes because we want to keep the peace. We want to do good. And then they tried to track trip Jesus up and he gave his famous, you know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and God, the things that are right. God. So, yeah, pay your taxes. And then, you know, the Apostle Paul, Romans 13, is like, well, we pay taxes because the government, you know, provides justice. It, it kills bad people. Um, yeah. Yeah, killing. Huh. Just, like, <laughs> just like the Apostle Paul said. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Jesus was a friend of tax collectors. Paul didn't mind the government doing things. Um, and uh, so, you know, I don't see if taxation is theft, as the libertarians would claim, it seems to have skipped the idea of Moses, Jesus, and the apostles. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and the tithe was to pay the priests and the, um, you know, upkeep of the temple and whatnot. So you had a very religious 
type um, thing for it because that was so crucial to what they were doing. Right. Um, to, to that culture, because like you mentioned, it was a theocratic like, reign. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus, and, the, and you see in the Bible, there's not really a push for a certain governmental type, because it's like, this transcends like governments. Because ultimately, there's going to be a theocratic reign with Jesus, you know, and, and God on the throne, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and the petty systems that we have aren't going to matter. Right. And I think that's why, and so th- that's where Paul's coming in and saying, okay, look, Wherever you are, remember, you're part of another kingdom, but you're also living in whichever land you're living in. So follow the rules. Right. As long as they don't go against what Scripture says. Right. And um, now I know a lot of people who um, they don't like, they, from a Christian perspective, they say, I don't necessarily agree with this, but they say that when, in Second Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each one must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm compulsed to give this stuff to the government, and that's against the Bible. So therefore, under Romans 13, mm. I don't have to give anything. <laughs> I don't think that's quite what he meant. Right. And, you know, that was, I think, what Paul was saying is about us more of a replacement of the tithe. Mm. That we give to the church and to charity what we feel led to give. Right. Um. And whatnot, but I think that is that's one criticism that I've heard about whether or not Christians should pay taxes. And then the other one is, just like in back in the day with the whole Roman thing, you know, they don't believe that their their tax money should be going to fund abortions or or wars. And that you know, the Quakers back in the day, they right. they did not like giving taxes because they they were pacifists. Right. Um, and I I am a pacifist of sorts, um, individually speaking. So I don't like that. It's going there, but also that that's a whole another topic and <laughs> things. But it's one of those things. It's the part of that social contract. Right. Contract. So in the same way that, and so what Rousseau would argue, and um, and that the and we kind of understand this in a little bit is that the we give the money so that we don't have to worry about having to give tributes because now we have the protection of everyone who's part of this social contract. Right. Um, and we don't have to give tributes because the um, the the Babylonians, when they took over Israel, they determined, okay, this we're taking everything that we want, and we're taking a bunch of people, and you just should just be glad that you're not dead. Right. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, they decided the tax rate was 100% for some people. <laughs> right. Um, and that we, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but I think that at, from a Christian thing, I think we're we're kind of in that... We need to give whatever land we're living in, whether we're in a Scandinavian country with 60% tax rate or whatever, that we need to give what is required and then fight to to get rid of the oppressive systems when possible in the sense of like, you know, so if you're in a Scandinavian country, vote for people that'll repeal stuff or whatever. And if you're in the U.S. and you don't like Texas, we're on, vote for people that don't do that. And then, and that's kind of our only recourse. But until then, we have to operate under because taxes inherently aren't anti-biblical, because we see how they happened within the Bible. Right. And, and it, um, it almost yeah. seems like the Bible just re- resigns to the, you know, the often said phrase of, you know, there's two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible yep. almost kind of, it was kind of like, eh, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> it's going to happen. Right. It's uh, like, it doesn't argue against death or taxes. It's just like, okay, you're going to have to pay your taxes um, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I think even in the scriptures you see this this tension that, and I, and I know somebody might accuse me of reading, you know, 
post, you know, enlightenment ideals back into the scriptures. Um, and so it's something we definitely have to be cautious against. Um, although some people would even argue that the scriptures, um, you know, idea of, of uh, on these issues is antiquated and, you know, idiotic and they weren't enlightened like we are today. Um, but uh, I, I would say if you really study the scriptures, you do see this tension that exists. The Bible does talk about rights, natural rights, you know, I would even yeah. dare say God-given rights, even though I know that's much oh. future, I know that's much future language, but, you know, it talks about the rights that are due to the orphan, the widow, the poor, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the, like the Apostle Paul talked about laying down his rights as an apostle um, yeah. so that he could minister freely um, and without charging, even though it was his right as an apostle to charge money. Um, but he chose to forego his rights in order to, you know, minister to the churches. Um, but also at the same time, I think the scriptures also kind of recognize that, yes, every individual has their rights. And, and I like what the libertarians say, that the, the, the smallest minority is the individual. Um, and so we have to be concerned about individual rights, individual liberty. And I think the yeah. scriptures are. But at the same time, I think the scriptures say, okay, there are such things as individual rights, but it also seems to tie together social obligations, ethical obligations, uh, dare I even say collective obligations, oh. you know. Um, yeah. I know. Well, the, this, is, this goes back to the Jesus was a, a, a healthcare socialist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, and I don't think the scriptures set out to resolve those tensions, but I think it paradoxically almost holds up both as true. Yes, you yeah. are an individual and you have rights, but yes... There's also this collective thing going on. And, uh, you know, I would almost argue, and it may be a little complicated theologically for those of you who are listening who don't quite follow, but, you know, the idea of this kind of federal theology that exists in, in scriptures that, you know, we could say, you know, scripturally, literally speaking, you know, the doctrine of original sin is based on the idea that when Adam sinned in the garden, that we were literally there with Adam in the garden sinning with him um, because individually we all spring from Adam and genetically speaking, all the stuff that we are is derived from Adam and Eve. So therefore when Adam was in the garden sinning, when Adam fell, we fell with him because we were part of Adam. Um, and so this idea that there's a social construct could almost be applied to the idea that, you know, if your grandfather entered into a, agreement in 1776 with the framers of the Constitution mm -hmm. and signed a Declaration of Independence um, and agreed to a form of government um, with those framers, then you and I continue to exist as part of your grandfather's contract um, in, in some sense. And, and that, yep. may, that may be a little bit of a stretch, and I'm not sure if I'm explaining it well, but it feels to me like there is this this sense, this federal sense that, you know, if I was an Adam when Adam sinned and I fell, then therefore, you know, I'm still part of Adam and likewise my grandfather and what happened in 1776. Because if you were to take, I think, the libertarian perspective to its most extreme, that means every time a person is born, you would have to wait for them to enter into a contract with your government. Um, yeah. and they couldn't do that until whatever age that government determines. But essentially we would have millions of people born around the world every year, billions of people born around the world who don't know any form of government until they agree to enter into a form of government. But 
<laughs> we've already agreed, hey, you were born in America, so you're an American citizen. And as a result, you have these certain obligations, um, including the uh, duty to pay your taxes, because that's what we've already decreed. Yeah. And, and kind of along that lines, it's the, you know, we are, we're born and we're kind of under our parents' social contract, for lack of a better term. Right. And then once we grow, then we can decide, okay, do I want to stay under this social contract or do I want to go and take my possessions and, and move elsewhere, like either under a different state with different rules or do I want to go to a different country or do I want to try and make it all of my own? Right. And, um, and most people choose to stay in it because I think ultimately we realize there is benefit to being in some sort of something and having like a social contract where our rights are guaranteed to a point. Um, whether it be through the force of federal government or through just everyone kind of just acknowledging thanks to the social contract that, hey, there is something called private property right, and whatnot. Because there are some countries where that doesn't exist. Sure. And um, in those cases, it's, you know, they have a much different one. And so it's kind of, it's interesting to see how, how everything flows. And I think that there is something to the the idea that we're kind of grandfathered in under, you know, what our, our grandparents and great grandparents did. So me as a, as a child of immigrants, um, you know, they, they left their old social contract to come over to the new one. Right. Um, and to kind of see what, what happened with stuff. And so that was an interesting, um, transition, but they, they thought that this one worked better. And I think that's one of the biggest, um, indicators of like our personal individual liberty and freedom is our ability to move place to place and now granted that isn't possible for everyone but the the people who shut down movement like out when non-pandemic stuff just in general like you know like the berlin wall and that kind of stuff right are people who they they want to take away your ability to hear it anyway that's the whole side thing i'm sorry <laughs> But I, I think, but and and somebody might say, well, what happens if my grandfather was a slave? You know, does that mean I'm doomed to be a slave forever just because my grandfather was a slave? What would the, be the response of um, the classical liberal to that? Like, hey, you know, you could say you're socially obligated to be a slave because you were born a you were born a slave. Um, what would be the classical liberal response to that? I would say that it's. It's less about what you're born at determines what you are, but that every that people who who owned slaves were in violation of the social contract. Hmm. That's where you get into the whole thing that legality doesn't equal morality, hmm. and that everyone has the individual right to freedom, and um, and to to live their life as as they see fit, for lack of a better term. And then, but entering into the social contract should not in any situation require you to give away your your essential your basic human rights like not the human rights of healthcare and stuff like that but your basic human rights to being able to um to your um the human right of self-determination of being able to live free and now then that's where th different philosophies come into place but i would say that that would be the, well, then the libertarian is going to be like, well, you know, this is still fundamentally no different than, you know, your argument that uh, you're a wage slave. I, yeah, I'm a wage slave. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I may not be under chains, but you know, I will be if I don't pay my taxes every April fifteenth. Um, right. And so I, I think that kind of brings the tension 
full circle here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we started at the beginning with the discussion of individual rights and liberties and property rights and went through the entire social thing, went back through slavery, and now we're back at freedom! Freedom! Freedom. And, you know, I, I don't... Paid off, I paid off all my debt, including my... Except for my house. <laughs> I want your freedom, so... And, and, I, and I, you know, I hope... We don't hope to solve all the issues here today, although I would still say, you know, if, if you are in a position of slavery... Um, myself, if I were to say that, if somebody were listening to this, that was an actual slave or, you know, maybe somebody just thought, Hey, I don't like the government stealing from me anymore. And I don't like paying taxes to the government. I mean, I think the founders would say, well, you know, if you believe the government's tyrannical infringing upon your rights, you do have the right to, you know, start a new government. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Thomas Jefferson and the likes thought it should happen every 20 years that there should be a revolt over government. (laughs) Oh, that would definitely change things up. So, uh, you know, that would make that would make things very saucy. Um, But uh, at the same time, it's like, well, okay, uh, you want if that if you want that to be your position, if you want to say taxation is theft, well, go ahead and rebel against the government. Start your own one. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then and don't and, and maybe maybe it's just a matter of. Thinking of it, okay, so I pay, as an example, I paid, let's say, 10 grand of taxes. I don't know what it actually right. paid, whatever. But 10 grand taxes. 10 grand is how much it costs to build X amount of road. Okay, I'm just going to, in my mind, say that my taxes went to building the road outside my house. Right. Okay, good. You know, so if you have to make, do something to, you can justify your taxes of where they're going. And so it's not going to support things you don't believe in. There's so much money going into the government. It, it doesn't really matter. Your individual dollars aren't going to fund every abortion. It's right. just whatever it is. And I think that's how we just have to, to deal with it in our current situation. Sure. Unless you want to go out into the mountains and be a mountain man and woman Mount- or whatever. M- mountain man, just like on yeah. Duck Dynasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that old show. Did you watch that, Duck Dynasty? I did. It yeah. was that was it was really good. Like in the beginning, then they kind of like got a little too scripted in some ways. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, we know so and so is gonna do this. Yeah, we used to watch it a little bit, but anyway, I digress. Well, Theo, it has been a blast having you on the show. I really thank you for being able to come out and help me reflect and work through these mental gymnastics and to tackle the various perspectives. I don't think we solved everything, but I definitely think we gave people something to think about and something to chew on. I hope so. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. And um, until next time. Yeah. And if uh, people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, how can they do that? Yes, they can. Um, At St. St. Theosaurus Rex um, on Twitter. And um, I'll, I'll try not to be too bombastic for a little bit. <laughs> behave, behave. I will try. It's, you, you you're, know, it's my right. You're, you're an ordained minister now, so act like it. <laughs> I know, I have to. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Theo, for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this topic. And if you guys have enjoyed this podcast, again, this has been Jimmy Humphrey with Jimmy'sTable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. We kind of hit on all of that today. Um, This has been episode 115. You can find the show notes at jimmystable.com. I'll have a link to uh, St. Theosaurus Rex's Twitter page if you want to reach out to him. Um, And if you want to email me your thoughts about what you think 
uh, regarding taxation and theft and government rights and responsibilities and all that fun stuff, you can email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe, where you can click on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or all the other fun ways podcasts are subscribed to, or there's even the old-fashioned way. Maybe you're a boomer and you like email. Uh, you can e- enter your email address and you'll get a weekly update about uh, the latest podcast uh, when it comes out. Okay, boomer. <laughs> okay, boomer. All right. Well, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.